You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Cam Chancellor comes up and just unloads. Number 31, clean his clock. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. Russell has time, fires down the middle. Got his man, Baldwin. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Doug Baldwin again. Powered by Seahawks.com. Hello and welcome to the Seahawks Insider Podcast as we get you ready for the Seahawks matchup against the 49ers. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for your Seattle Seahawks, joined today by John Boyle from Seahawks.com. Hi, Jen. How are you? I am well, and I've already planned out and mapped out every meal that I am going to have through the holiday weekend. That's impressive. It's it's fairly I take it one meal at a time. It's really scary, actually. Well, but I got to make sure that you've got room for all the courses, all the goodies that I splurged on, and pie. Because it's only my husband and I this weekend. We have two pies. One each, or do you split them? No, it's one each. You don't see eye to eye on pie? Well, I (laughs) I don't understand why you can't have traditional Thanksgiving pie on Thanksgiving. My husband has to be different. Now, I know that some people are not going to think that this is, you know, an American because he likes apple pie. I get it. But Thanksgiving is a pumpkin and a pecan pie holiday. No, apple pie is a Thanksgiving pie. I am a pecan pie fan. So I will be having pecan. He will be having apple. I, you know, pecan pie kind of grew on me later in life. I didn't like it when I was young, but now I'm all for it. It's perfect. But I think I think apple pie, I mean, apple's a fall fruit, you know, harvest kind of. I think that works for Thanksgiving. I think you can have apple pie anytime. I think you well, can I have pecan can have, pie or pumpkin pie I anytime. I think you could too. have a lot of pie any I'm point in time. I'm hungry now. You know what the benefit of this is? If he has his own and I have my own, A, you don't have to worry about sharing. B, the fork never has to leave the pie plate. True. I never have to dirty dishes with a plate. There you go. You're See? just being efficient. I Well, I'm optimistic that this is going to work out well, and I'm efficient. And I'm also optimistic. And that does it. And, that, right, and thanks, that's everyone. what we got. Okay. But here's what else I'm optimistic about. It, and I'm, I'm not feeling good about your chances to not listen to me rant today. Because, look, the Seahawks against Atlanta on Monday Night Football – I know that it was a loss, and I know it's a loss that you really can't afford given the way that the standings are shaking out. I actually felt pretty good coming out of that game. Yeah, I mean, a lot of things went well. They only punted the ball once. The offense was moving the ball really well. They gave up too many points, but that's not that the defense totally got gashed. It was a lot of, you know, the turnovers, that one kick return game, a short field, and boom, that's 21 quick points. Matt Ryan had 195 yards. Granted, it was a pretty efficient 195 yards, but he didn't light him up. They couldn't run the ball again. We, that's been a pretty common theme now. No one's run on the Seahawks since week three. So, yeah, I mean, look, it hurt a lot to lose that game. At six and four, your margin for error is pretty slim going forward. But I think, you know, I understand people don't, you know, the injuries are concerning. It's it's scary not having Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman back there, but there's still a ton of talent on this team, and I, I still think they can play some really good football going forward. When you talk about Matt Ryan and the yards that he was able to put up, he had not thrown for under 200 yards in a game in 64 straight games. So what the Seahawks defense did with backup players, essentially, since you didn't have Cam or Sherm, is pretty impressive. Why are we hearing so much of the sky is falling from everybody who's looking at this team? I think part of that's, you know, kind of a testament to how good the players are that aren't playing. I mean, 
this team has never played without Richard Sherman since he took over a starting role. Cam Chancellor is one of the best safeties of his generation. And I also just think, you know, from a, I, I'm not trying to like, you know, stick up for the team here unnecessarily, but I think you're always going to have when a team's been good a long time, it's kind of an easy storyline to look for their demise. Not just this team. I've, we've seen them with the Patriots. I mean, well, how many times have about, we talked about the Patriots in their window closing? You know, people talked about whether they should be benching Tom Brady like two years ago. That Bill Belichick was asked that. So it's a pretty like easy, trendy thing to do when a team shows any vulnerability. And I just think it's the NFL is so hard to sustain success, even, you know, not just season to season, but just week to week. So a team's going to have bad games. They're going to lose games. They shouldn't. And all of a sudden we wonder if it's some big sign of everything going wrong. And look, maybe I'll be wrong in January, but I just have a hard time believing this is not still going to be a very good team in the playoffs come January. And as much as you want to control your own destiny and winning the game against Atlanta, and had you won the game against Washington, you would have been in the driver's seat. Having said that, you still have three games against division opponents, and you've got the Rams with a very tough schedule who have less experience in these situations than the Seahawks do. So I actually kind of look at this and think, okay, the Seahawks were getting positive yards on first down. That was something that they had really struggled with, particularly in the run game going into that Monday night game. They were averaging less than one yard a carry when they tried to run on first down. And granted, John, when you take a look at the rushing yards, they were not significantly higher, but they had play calls that mimicked those yards on the ground. But where does that running game stand this week? It's tough because it, it's just been so hard this year to to get one guy going and keep him going. So now Mike Davis, you know, he looked really good in spurts, and now he's hurt. We'll see what that means. Pete Carroll didn't know yet his status for the week. But, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say it's good news, but the 49ers haven't had the best run defense this year. They're 31st in the league. So in theory, if there's a team to maybe get right against, it could be them. But I don't want to, you know, downplay that and then – have them come out and play their rears off, as Pete might say. But uh, or no, Pete likes going with buns. That's been his new phrase. Do you notice that he played his, his buns, buns off. off? He's played that. He said that a couple times. Anyway. Sounds like something my mother would say. It does. <laughs> I don't know your mother, but anyway, I'm really off track here. Point being, we don't know what it's going to look like because a, it's been pretty inconsistent for the Seahawks as is with anyone, and b, we don't know who's going to be in there. So. Uh, you know, the one thing I am pretty confident is they're going to keep trying because Pete Carroll really wants to have that as a part of their offense. And it hasn't been there like they want this year, but they're not just going to give up on it completely. So kind of cursory glance, what we're expecting to see is Eddie Lacy, Thomas Rawls, and J.D. McKissick. If by virtue of the fact those might be the only three healthy running backs they have available. Yeah. I mean, unless there's you know, I guess there's still time if there's outside help they see available. But for now, I'd say those are the three guys. And then you hope maybe Mike Davis can make a quick recovery. And then he factors in if he is healthy. We know he really wants to play. That's the team that drafted him. So he would he'd love to get that chance. But yeah, it's uh, it's been a really tough, really two years at running back. They just have not had the consistency and been able to get one guy going. So how much of that, because Pete has said a few different times, that there's just something that's not clicking there with the blocking and the running backs. How much responsibility falls on 
either side of that equation. And I guess the third part of that could be just overall play calling. So how much of it is running backs? How much of it is offensive line? How much is play calling? You know, I think it's everything. And it's, I couldn't give you, you know, it's this percent, this one or the other, but it's hard for a, a running back, even if it's one guy to get going, if the line is changing and the blocking's a little different every week. And it's hard for the running game to get going if you have all these different running backs and the blocking's consistent. So the fact that there's been a decent amount of turnover in both those units these last two years, I just think they have not had a week to week where you get that chemistry between the two. It just makes it tough to get going. I mean, we kind of take for granted how good they had it for so long, having not just a good running back, but a healthy, durable one. So you know what it's going to be week in, week out. So if Luke Jokel can play against the Niners, and even if it's not the Niners, maybe it's the week after, changing up the offensive line again, does it help or hurt? It might hurt a little bit, you know, that one game, but long-term it should help. I mean, they were really happy with what Luke Jokel was giving them before the knee surgery, and I'd say he's probably – is good, if not a better run blocker than a pass blocker. So you get him, and that's not to knock his pass blocking. He's just, they really like him as a run blocker. You get him on that left side with Dwayne Brown, and you maybe establish a good, you know, solid veteran group on that side. And the timing's good because now Odeabushi's, we know he's out this week with a shoulder injury. We don't know beyond that. And even before that injury, Tom Cable hinted that whenever Luke Jokel comes back, Ethan Posick will probably factor in at right guard. So now, you know, if you get Jokel back, you might be able to get Posick in there. If not, it's Mark Lewinsky, a guy who opened the season as a starter there. So, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's never ideal to have change on the offensive line, but long-term getting Luke Juggle back will definitely be good for this group, especially when you just lost another starting card. And in some ways, perhaps long-term, it actually benefits Ethan Posick that Jokel had surgery and was out because Posick being able to play alongside Dwayne Brown for a few games, I know that a couple of weeks isn't enough to dramatically impact your career for years and years, but you do get to see how a guy's done it, who has done it at a very high level and who, how he processes things. There's a lot of information that's coming at him and he's been able to kind of learn from one of the best in the game on how to do that. Yeah, for sure. Just having that guy, you know, in the meeting rooms at practice, it's, we hear about it all the time, but I think at that position group, maybe more than anywhere, just what you can learn from, because there's just so much about the communication and, everything that goes into that position group having to function as a unit. It's not just individuals doing their job. So having a all-pro experienced veteran playing next to you, that's, that's big. It was also big for the Seahawks to see what happened with Tyler Lockett in the return game. Yeah. And Lockett overall has just been such a great story this year. And Pete Carroll made sure to give him – just a little bit of props in his weekly press conference. It's been a challenge for, for Tyler, and I, I just find him remarkably uh, uh, suited to handle this challenge. It, it's been hard the whole time. He, he really, physically, it's been a challenge for him. He's worked constantly on staying right and, and, and in the trainer room and, and the routines that he's done um, that didn't just come from the surgery but came from his knee that got bothered during the summertime. And... Uh, He's just made it through it. Uh, he's continued to be there on point on game day, week after week after week. And finally, we, we were reaping the benefits of, of all of that hard work. Uh, the, guys, the, the, the execution of the guys on that kickoff return team was beautifully uh, handled in, in taking uh, to game time. And he was able to take advantage of those, you know, the consistency that those guys gave him, uh, really uh, 
uh, Mark Lewinsky and, and Jordan Roos really had notable efforts in, in, in presenting the, the opportunities there. Um, but it has, going back to, to Noe, it's been a challenge for him to, because he's been a kid that's always been healthy and always been full speed and spends more time on the practice field before and after practice than anybody. He's not been able to do all of that as much as he would like uh, because he's been in rehab and he's been doing things, other things that he's had to do. Um, so um, I think this is, it's been a very challenging year for him. I think he's handled it remarkably well and, and he's given us great play. He had a fantastic football game at receiver two last week, you know, and so. And he continues to be really consistent. So, and I, you guys noted about the player of the week thing, the special teams. Yeah, great, great recognition. What is it about Tyler Lockett's game that you have grown to appreciate most, John? You know, and I think this is just what you need to be a kick returner in general. But kind of the just the fearlessness, the courage of that role, and especially when you're a guy built like Tyler Lockett. I mean, he's a little guy. He's a pretty slight guy. And it takes, and Pete Carroll talked about this as well, that it just takes a certain mentality that hardly anyone has. You catch that ball, and you just have to take off, run in full speed, and trust that you're going to get that little crease, get that block, and not get hit full power by another guy sprinting full speed. And that wasn't there all the time this year. And you know, Tyler Lockett talked about this after the game. He was pretty honest about that. He was, you know, as he said, tiptoeing or dancing a little bit and being hesitant. And look, when you're when you're the best athlete on the field in high school or maybe even college, you can get away with that. You can dance around and run away from guys. But there's too many fast, good athletes that is a kick returner. More often than not, if you hesitate at all, you're getting tackled at the 15, 20-yard line. And it was it was noticeably different how decisive he was on Sunday or on Monday night, just hitting it full speed. And that can make all the difference in the world for a returner. I thought it was interesting listening to him after the game because it isn't, it is trusting. But he noted that it's easier for him to do that than it is for the guys running full speed at him. Because at some point, they have to stop their momentum, yeah. break down, and get ready to for the tackle. And so he still holds that advantage. But it was just remembering that that's how that part of the game goes. Yeah, and you know, it, it's he's not going to use the injury as an excuse, but there's got to be a little part. He's a guy who's been healthy, and you know, he has it in college. Pros, everybody gets beat up, but he's never had that significant of injury. So you kind of wonder if maybe it took him a little time to just get that confidence back of, I can get hit hard, I can take it, and I'm going to bounce back up and be fine. Where, you know, it, it definitely didn't look the same for a lot of this season as it has in the past. And on Monday night, he looked like the guy who's been a all-pro, Pro Bowl return man. And he said that it was Luke Wilson who challenged the special teams unit and said, look, when I first got here, we had great returns. You know, we were breaking them. The Seahawks have not scored on special teams in a return since 2015. They are very aware of this. I've talked to a number of them about it over the last few weeks. They know it's only a matter of time before they break one. But, you know, Luke Wilson really saying, look, we got to stay on our blocks. We've got to play smart. That, that hustle board that they have that tracks special teams plays, all but three stickers yeah, in there this week. one of week. the best games of the year. They're, and they've had... You mentioned that board, and so people know what we're talking about. It just measures all these different things, you know, whether it's not committing penalties or, you know, setting up a score, not giving up Field big plays, position, just yeah. all these different measures of success. There's 12 of them. It's pretty consistently been in the, you know, six, seven range this year. And in years when they're really going, it's almost a full board every time. So to see it at nine this week is, is a lot more 
kind of telling of what they want to be on special teams and what they can be and what, what they have been when they're at their best. Here's the tricky part about special teams, though, is that there's a little bit of a trickle-down effect. So Nico Thorpe has been an incredible special teamer, but he had to go in and play defense with the injury to Shaq Griffin and just kind of how thin they are in the secondary. And you wonder, now I know that Nico was a starter at one point in time, and when I talked to him this week, he said, man, I would love to just get the chance to be schemed up because of my size and to go in and actually play defense, but as it stands, I'm just the guy that gets to go in. We saw him in the dying package mm-hmm. against Atlanta. Made but a heck of a play on third He down. made that a heck of a play, beat. right? Yeah, that ball was pretty much caught, and he just ripped it out. But anyway, you got to make sure that he's not – taking away from what he gives you on special teams, which is why the Seahawks made a move this week that confused some, made sense to others. Break down, John, what we're looking at, the trickle-down effect to special teams and how this impacts the defense and a move the team made. Yeah, and I, I talked to Pete Carroll about that. Well, I talked to him. I asked him about that last week. And it's when people look at the injuries on defense, you, you see Cam Chancer, Richard Sherman, those kind of guys going down. And the immediate thing is what's it mean to the defense. But as you said, there's a trickle-down Bradley McDougal for half a season was maybe their best special teams player. Nico Thorpe is probably the top guy, but he was hurt early in the year. You, know, you talk about overall production for eight, nine weeks. McDougald was right up there. He can't play 70, 80% of the special team snaps when he's on the field for every defensive play. It's just not safe for him to be out there that much. So you lose, you know, he does some special teams, but you lose him some and, it's that a lot of times is where you really see injuries catch up to teams. It's not necessarily as notable as when the guy's not on the field on defense, but you see this across the league as teams get beat up late in the air. It's kind of all of a sudden, maybe they're giving up a few more big returns or getting a kick blocked or whatever. And it's just, it's really hard depth wise when you only have 46 guys on game day and you just you don't have everybody available to you. And I think it's important to note that field position was such a big thing against Atlanta. Tyler Lockett had almost 200 return yards in the game. It put the offense in great position, which is why when you make a roster move like the Seahawks did in waving Dwight Freeney and signing David Moore from the practice squad, it's hard to compare. You're trying to compare apples to apples, but you can't except it's just as important. Yeah, and I mean, this was kind of an interesting move overall because I don't think it's even necessarily Dwight Freeney for David Moore. Pete Carroll mentioned that they were going to lose Dwight or David, David Moore, Moore to another team. So if you want to keep him around, you make that move today. And I wouldn't be stunned if maybe if they have depth concerns somewhere else. We could see another move this week, and maybe that's really more what the roster spot they freed up was for. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's a lot of times you see, you know, maybe a team will cut a running back and sign a linebacker. It's because they need that special teams help. And David Moore is a guy who's a big, sturdy receiver. He's, you know, 6'2", 220. He's a guy that definitely, I mean, part of what he did on special teams in the preseason was return kicks, and he's not doing that right, right. now because Tyler Lockett's looking great at But he's a guy that theoretically could help you and do some things on special teams that, look, you're just not going to ask a 37-year-old likely Hall of Fame defensive end to go down cover kickoff. It's probably not the best thing for him or the team. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned just kind of the depth concerns. I think right now they are just trying to keep a few options open as they play this wait and see game as to who will be available on Sunday and where they might need to have an extra body at. And as much as they loved what Freeney gave them and Pete Carroll said, you know, they hate to have to do that. 
they had 11 defensive linemen on the roster, which, it is, was a luxury. which is a lot. It's a luxury that you can have when everybody's healthy, but you don't always have that luxury when guys start getting beat up. And you're, you know, if you're having healthy scratches on game day at one position and you're thin somewhere else, that's sometimes where the roster move has to happen. So let's take a look at what this means for the matchup against the Niners for the last couple of minutes here. You mentioned the rookie quarterback for San Francisco, and you mentioned the opportunity for the Seahawks running game to get right. How much different do you think this game is going to look compared to week two of the season? You know, I think we're going to see the Seahawks defense look a lot better, or sorry, their offense look a lot better. I, I, you know, Seattle's defense played really well then, and I expect we'll see them play really well again. Um, one thing I would very much expect to see change defensively is the run defense. That was one of the last, they had two, basically two bad games of run defense this year. Week two against San Francisco, week three against Tennessee, gave up hundred plus yards back to back games. Some big plays really contributed to that. Since then, the Seahawks have pretty much shut down every opposing running back they've faced. They're allowing 3.2 yards a carry since that Tennessee game, which is, you know, top three in the league. They're top two in the league, 80 yards per game rushing. So I really think they've kind of cleaned up some of the issues that led to those big plays. And then I think just offensively, the Seahawks have come a long way since then. They're they're still struggling to run the ball, but we've seen them move the ball really well. Russell Wilson's doing so many good things. So I would expect a lot better offensive performance than the 12 points we saw. Is Russell doing too much? Are you worried about him doing too much? No. I mean... In a perfect world, he's not 80-whatever percent of your offense because you're running the ball better. But he's pro- you can make an argument he's safer running the ball than standing in the pocket because he's running around, he sees guys coming, he's really, really good at getting down, getting out of bounds. We rarely see him get hit running around. When quarterbacks are really vulnerable, it's standing there throwing the ball. So, look, if he's dropping back 60 times a game, that would concern me more than thrown at 30 and running eight to 10 times. So, you know, it, it's concerning only in that it reflects, it shows where they're, where they're deficient in the running game. But I don't think it concerns me in that they're asking too much of him. I mean, look, quarterbacks are a big part of every team's offense. That's why they make a lot of money. That's why they're considered the most important position on the field. So, no, I, it's, it doesn't worry me too much. It's funny because I just have these flashbacks of Matt Hasselbeck. When he played here, and I just saw him on Monday night, I remember them bringing a slip and slide out to training camp <laughs> to try to get him to slide more gracefully because uh, God love it. It was just like, oh my gosh, you cringe. You don't cringe yeah, when Russell no, slides. Russell, he's, he's Russell got knows how control. to take care of himself. I yeah. mean, he's going to get hit occasionally, but he's pretty safe back there. And he said really the key to evolving is making sure that you're looking at the next play, which is what he's doing, which is what they're looking at in the run game to continue to improve. And it's what the Seahawks are looking at Sunday against the 49ers as they look to get back on track and control what they can control on their schedule and in their division. We'll see how they come out in that matchup next week when we are back to break it down on another edition of the Seahawks Insider Podcast. 